Father, we pray that you would speak your word to us. Lord, by the power of your spirit, I pray that you would do a work in each of our lives, and particularly as we get to Genesis chapter 2 and look at your plan for marriage, we pray, Lord, there would be a move of your spirit in strengthening and even healing in reconciling marriages as a result of what you're, what you're going to say and what you're going to do today. pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we began a new series entitled New Beginnings, a series taken from passages out of the book of Genesis, which is a book of new beginnings. So last week we started with Genesis chapter 1, and we talked about creation. We took a close look at how God works in the creation account. We saw in verse 2 that uh, God took an earth that was formless and void and covered in darkness, and he made something new of it. In the first three days, what God did is he, we see him moving everything from a state of disorder to order before he moves it from a state of emptiness to fullness. So right after verse 2, he, he takes the first three days, and we're familiar with the six days of creation. He takes the first three days, and he moves everything from the state of formlessness to a state of form. And then he moves everything from a state or a state of disorder to order, from, then everything from a state to emptiness to fullness. And this is typically how God works. He works this way when he creates something new, when he gives something a new beginning, a new start. He moves it from formlessness to form, disorder to order, before he moves it from emptiness to fullness, whether it's something or someone. When God does a new work in someone's life, he, begin, he starts first by moving that life from disorder to order before he moves that person from a place of emptiness to fullness. So many times people think, you know, God, I want fullness. I want fullness in my life. In some way, yet, they're not willing to cooperate with God and move in their life from a state of disorder to order. But typically, the way that God works is he moves from a state of disorder to order first, and we cooperate with that before he moves to a state of emptiness to fullness. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 and... Uh, my computer screen went on the fritz, but don't worry. We have the verses up on the screen, and we'll go, we'll go through it. But here's how it works in Genesis chapter 2. When we get to Genesis chapter 2, we're going to see that God is making mankind. But really, he starts by talking about how really he viewed his entire creation in Genesis chapter 1, the last verse. Let's look at that verse, first of all. Genesis chapter 1, the last verse, it says, And God saw that all he had made, and behold, it was very good. So all he had made was very good, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now pick it up in chapter 2 when you get to verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So let's just stop and think about this for a moment. So everything that God made is very good. And then he says, it is not good. The first not good thing in the Bible is loneliness. So what God sees is God sees man who he made, and he sees something not good about the situation. Now remember, we have a God who moves things from disorder to order before he moves things from emptiness to fullness. Keep that in mind. 
So he looks down at man and sees something that is not fullness here. And so what's, what's he going to do? He's going to bring about what needs, what kind of order needs to be brought about in order for fullness to happen. So he's going to make man a woman. And I want you to notice in the verse, it says, I will make him a helper suitable for him. So let's just look at that. He's going to make, this woman's going to be a helper. And we need to understand the word helper in the Old Testament is not demeaning at all. In fact, the word helper in the Old Testament was used of God Almighty as man's helper. So we know it cannot be a demeaning term if it's used of Yahweh God. What it means, it means that it's someone who can provide something for us that we're unable to provide for ourselves. God is man's helper in that way. He can provide for us something that we're unable to provide for ourselves. Well, God is going to make a hope helper suitable for Adam. He's going to make someone who can provide something for him he's unable to provide for himself. And by the way, that's what God does when he brings a man and woman together in marriage. He's bringing somebody in your life who can provide for you what you cannot provide for yourself. So he's providing this helper. He's going to make a helper. And then it says suitable for him. Now suitable here is literally the Hebrew uh, word means of the complement of. I don't know how many guys remember the first original Rocky movie. But when Rocky's talking about Adrian, who's going to be his wife, remember what he said? He said, I got gaps, and she fills my gaps. You know, he had no idea how theologically correct he was <laughs> in this statement. What he's saying, basically, she is of the complement of me. She's suitable for me. She fills my gaps. So God makes... Eve for Adam, he makes a helper, someone who can provide for him what he can't provide for himself, who's of the complement of him, is going to fill his gaps. And they're going to do it mutually. And so God has this plan. Remember, God is always moving things from disorder to order because his goal is always fullness. God's desire is fullness. That's why even in the future when we have a new heavens and new earth, it's going to be all what, what for? For fullness. That's the way he wants to move things, but there has to be a cooperation for us to move from disorder to order before we can experience the fullness. So God has this desire for Adam to have fullness. So he's going to make Adam Eve. So what does he do next? Well, this is kind of a curious thing when you're reading the passage because you would think, now why would he go from deciding he's going to make the woman for a man by then just giving the assignment to Adam to name all the creatures? Because that's what happens next. Look at these verses. Next thing we see is, and out of the ground, verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was, that was its name. Okay? So God is now bringing all the creatures to the man, Adam, to name them. But notice next verse. It says, and the, and the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. 
So now Adam has this assignment. This is before Eve is created. Keep this in mind. God gives him an assignment. Even after God decides he's going to make a woman for him, he gives him this assignment. Why is God doing that? God is doing that because God is now going to prepare him, Adam, for what he's about to bring him, Eve. So he gives him an assignment that it actually is a preparation time for Adam. In what way? Well, we do know this, that in the ancient world, if a king or army was to conquer a city, they would rename the city. Naming the city was in the sense that you understood that that city was now under your authority and you were a leader over that city. So there's something in this that God is actually training Adam to be a leader right now. Because Adam was going to be the leader of this family that God was going to give him. So he's training him. So there's some training going on, but even more than that, I think, I want you to imagine Adam is naming all these creatures, and they're coming, and he's seeing that they each, ha they each have a, a suitable mate, so to speak, but he found none that was suitable for him. So there's an, something going on inside Adam during this time. I think there's something emotionally going on with Adam. I think Adam is feeling his need, even more so acutely, that his need for Eve, his need for this wife, that God is going to make him. And by the way, I think God still does it. I think God still takes a man and a woman. He puts them through all kinds of experiences in their life, preparing them for each other. But I also think he prepares them emotionally for their need for each other. And that's what I think he's doing here with Adam. And so now Adam is ready. He's ready. He's been, he's been getting trained for this, for this important role that he's going to play in this marriage, but also he's been prepared emotionally now for this. So now what is God going to do? Well, God is now going to proceed to make this very specific. He's not making a generic woman for a generic man. He's making Eve for Adam. So let's see what the next verse goes. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. This is the first anesthesia in the Bible, by the way. And he slept. Then he took one of his ribs, literally in Hebrew it says, he took from the side of him. So all through the years, we just assumed that was a rib, but he took from the side of him. So he took most likely a rib and closed up the flesh in that place. So now after he closed up the flesh in that place, we don't know if Adam's still sleeping or awake. I think he has no reason to be sleeping anymore. The surgery's over. But that's a thought, isn't it, that Adam's actually awake watching God make this woman for him? And so God is now about to make Eve for Adam. Again, remember the goal of all this is, that, is for fullness. That's the goal. God's heart is always for us to have fullness. So he's putting some things in a certain order that will bring that about. So what happens next? Next verse. Genesis 2.22, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So God now fashions this woman for the man. Now, this is important, the word used here. It's interesting, the word used for how God made a man, the Hebrew word is used of a potter and a pot. Just a very basic kind of creation. 
But the word used for how God made a woman is the word used of an architect making and designing an ornate building with all of its detail and beauty. And so you think, well, that's interesting. Is God used different words? There's different words in the Word of God for how God made a man and God made a woman. God made a man and woman different. And we think, well, duh. But I tell you what, there's not so much duh in all the times I've done marriage counseling over the years because I'll tell you, I can sit across with a couple and tell the man, you know, your problem is not that you married Mary, your problem is that you married a woman. And I'll say, Mary, your problem isn't that you married John. Your problem is you married a man. And you guys have never been willing to accept the differences. See, I think 80% of the conflict in most marriages is not because of the specific person, but it's because the differences between a man and a woman. That's never been accepted. And if we'll just kind of stop at this verse and reflect and say, wait a second, part of God's design was to make man and woman different. Let's accept the differences and enjoy them instead of being frustrated by them. So many marriages are so frustrated because they cannot accept that he's acting like that way because he's a man or she's acting like that way because she's a woman. God made us different. Viva la difference. <laughs> I mean, enjoy it, accept it. So that's, that's, that's key to having, you know, really lining up with God's order and experiencing fullness. One of the keys is accepting that God made man and woman different. It really is. It really is key. And then it says, and he brought her to the man. God walks her down the aisle. He really does. This is all, by the way, this whole passage in Hebrew is poetry. God is walking her down the aisle and gives her to the man. It's a beautiful picture. But you know what? God didn't, again, he doesn't, it wasn't like this was a total coincidence. I mean, God specifically is involved here, right? He's specifically involved in making Eve for Adam. He has in mind what Adam is like when he makes her. And then he brings her to him. Now, if God is the same today, yesterday, and forever then we would have to argue that God still does that sort of thing. Wouldn't we? Was God only concerned about a specific woman for a specific man and for Adam and Eve? Or does he still do that today? See, I believe God still, God is that involved. The same God who knows every hair in your head. You know, I mean, the same God that knows every thought before you think it. Do you think he really thinks, okay, the second most important decision of your life, first being, of course, your decision about Jesus, second most important decision of your life is just totally up to you. Good luck. Hope you pick a good one. <laughs> That's not how God is, right? God is such, so much more involved in our lives. So I believe God still does that today. He still is making a man and a woman for each other, and I think he still is bringing them sovereignly together for each other. Now, why is that important that you believe that? Why is it important that I believe that God brought Tracy to me? I'm going to tell you why. 
Because if I believe that God is all loving and all good and all wise and all sovereign, if I believe those things about God, and I believe that he brought her to me, if I believe that, that means that I'll never come to a point where I'm thinking, I wonder what it would have been like if I'd have married someone different. Because if I believe that God brought me the best person for me that he could have, then that means there isn't another one out there that was better for me than her. So I never have to imagine what it would have been like if I'd have married her, 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 because I already had the best thing brought to me for me. It was Tracy. I'll tell you what, it's important that you believe that because there's going to be times in your marriage where you're going to be tempted not to believe that. All of us are humans, and there's times when you're frustrated with each other, you're upset with each other, and you got to believe, wait a second, no matter how upset I am or frustrated, that's the best person on earth for me. I tell you what, that, that makes your marriage a fair proof because there is nobody better out there. Anyone else you are reaching out to beyond that person God brought to you is a step backward and down. It's not good for you. So really believe in that is crucial. Believe in that. She, God brought her to me. Thank you, Lord. God, who's always good, does everything in love, is all wise, and is in total control, brought her to me. See, believe in that, I'll tell you, it changes things, doesn't it? Changes how you approach every type of situation, every disagreement, every conflict, every challenge, because that's the best person for me. Well, God continues in this passage. Let's go to the next verse. The next verse, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. And Hebrew is, is she shall be called Isha, because she's taken out of Ish. And so there's even similarities there in Hebrew. Then verse 24, for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother shall cleave to his wife. And listen to this last part, they shall become one flesh. Now, this is huge right here. This one flesh principle, if we get this, would dramatically impact our marriage, marriages here. What that means is this. What does it mean that you're one flesh? Even though you still have, walk around in two bodies, still have two brains, two wills, two emotions, you still have that. Even, but when you're married, something has happened dynamically, that makes you now one. What is it? What it is, is this. Once you are married, there are no longer any win-lose situations. Because you are now one flesh, you will either win-win or lose-lose. You cannot win-lose anymore. That means... If you have an argument and you won the argument and your spouse lost the argument, if they lost, you lost. Because you can't win-lose anymore. You either win-win or lose-lose. That means if, you know, the woman made some financial decision that where she won and the husband lost, if he lost, 
she lost too. That applies to every area of marriage, even intimacy in marriage. If one, if they don't, if you either both win or you both lose, but you can't have one winner, one loser anymore. And once you realize that, that means that, wait a second, that means I have got to make sure they win if I want to win. Right? You start to think like that, that changes how you relate in the marriage. And that is God's order. God's order now, if you want to have fullness, is to win-win. Not to lose-lose, and you cannot win-lose. That's not even an option. Win-win or lose-lose. So how do you win-win in marriage? Well, you know, the Bible actually tells us how. Because the Apostle Paul takes this verse and uses it in Ephesians chapter 5 to develop the entire, his entire passage in Ephesians 5 on the role of the husband and the wife. The anchor for his whole argument on the role of husband and wife is this one verse, the one flesh principle. In fact, let's look at that verse. Go ahead and put it up. Ephesians 5. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We just read that in Genesis chapter 2, didn't we? Apostle Paul has taken that verse, and that's the anchor of his teaching on marriage in Ephesians 5. Now, he even teaches something more even deep about the body of Christ relating to Jesus, as he says in the next verse. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. There's something even that gives a picture of Jesus and his relationship with the church and a marriage. But then he comes back to the real practicalities of the one flesh principle in verse 33, Ephesians 5. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his wife even as himself. So how does a man make sure he's win-wins in marriage? He's got to make sure his wife knows he loves her. All right, but not finished. And let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. How does a wife make sure that her husband wins so she can win? He's got to know she respects him. That's the whole deal. That's how you win-win. You win-win by the wife feeling loved, by the husband feeling respected. It's interesting, psychologists, you know, have come up with this observation that they've discovered that is, they think is just brilliant. It is brilliant, but they didn't make it up. That they realize that a woman's self-esteem is primarily built up on whether or not she feels loved. If a woman feels love, her self-esteem is built up and she feels happy. She feels satisfied. She feels fulfilled. And they discover that a man's self-esteem is primarily built up on whether or not he feels respected. If he feels respected, he feels happy. He feels satisfied. He feels fulfilled. Well, psychologists haven't made this observation, but you know, 2,000 years earlier, the Word of God tells us how to win-win in the one flesh relationship. And that is, husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husband. Why? Because you're one flesh. And it's God's order in order for you to have fullness and to win-win is to do that. So here's how God set it up to work. God set it to work like this. 
So the husband treats his wife in a way that she feels loved. So she feels happy. She feels so feels satisfied. So she respects her husband. Oh, he feels happy. He feels satisfied. So he loves her even more. She's even happier. She respects him even more. He's even happier. And they keep win-win, 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 year after year, win-win, decade after decade, and it just goes on upward, upward, and upward. And that is called romance. And that's where it gets just better and better and better. That's how God set it up. Why? Because God wants fullness for us, right? That's the order. But here's what most marriages do. They violate the order. That's why they go from, they don't have fullness, they have emptiness. Most marriages do the exact opposite. The wife does not feel loved, so she's not happy. She doesn't respect her husband, and he's not happy. He loves her even less. She's even more unhappy. She respects him even less. He's even, you know, more unhappy himself. And then they go, lose, 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 lose. They dig a hole, lose, lose, lose. They have grievances, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, frustration. And then they come to see, maybe maybe they'll make one last ditch effort to see a pastor. And then I've had them sitting, you know, three decades of lose, losing it, and they want me to fix it in one hour. They have dug a hole so deep. The grievances are so profound. And they want it fixed. What they want is they want fullness, right? They got emptiness. They want fullness. And what I got to do is say, we got to move you from disorder to order before you're going to get fullness instead of emptiness. And the way you guys are treating each other, you have dug a giant hole. So there's all these stored up grievances in this marriage. And so how are we going to fix it? And so typically they're in two chairs in my office. And sometimes I'll just grab a third chair and put it between them. And I'll say, before we can actually work on you two, we got to get the devil out of the room. I said, the devil? I said, yeah, right now the word devil means one who separates. If you have the one who separates in your relationship, you got a problem. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. What does it say? Let's put it, and put it up here. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a place. Unresolved anger, bitterness, grievances, resentments in a relationship, in a marriage, give the devil a place. So again, you're going to give the one who separates a place in your marriage? How's that going to work? So I'll say to these couples, I'll say, before we talk about what you need to you know, do in your marriage for healing, we've got to get the devil out of here. And I'm telling you, we can't pray him out. We can't rebuke him out. The only way we can get him out is for you to forgive each other because he's got a place, and the only way we can take his place away is for you to forgive each other. And once you forgive each other, he does, no longer has a place. He's gone. See, one of the ways you know, too, is a couple, you know whether or not the devil has a place in your relationship is the smallest thing can start a fight. 
I mean the smallest thing. Why? Because the one who separates is there. And he's like pouring gasoline on the fire. The smallest little thing and you're at each other. And so how do you get the devil out? Well, again, by forgiving each other. That is the only way to get him out. You got to take his place away. You gave him a place. Now you got to take his place away and he can't stay. How do you take his place away? By forgiving each other. No, no, no longer, no more grievances, no resentment, no ammunition dump. You can reach back and pull out the ammunition anytime the first fight starts. You empty out the ammunition dump. Totally forgive each other for every little thing. And so I, I have couples face each other and say, okay, well, here's how we're going to do it. First I'll, say, first I'll send them off for an hour each. Go, go and ask the Lord to show you everything you need to ask the other person to forgive you for. Don't make a list of things you think they ought to be apologizing for. That won't work. You make a list of things you need to ask them to forgive you for. Do that for about an hour. Come back together. And typically, I ask, I ask them to do it on their own. If they can't do it on their own, I'll referee it. Hardly anybody can do it on their own. Because that's, their patterns are so messed up with each other, it doesn't take hardly anything to get it off track and they're fighting again. So I said, okay, it didn't work on your own, I'm going to referee. I said, I know it's awkward, it's awkward for you, it's awkward for me, but this is the only way we're going to go anywhere, you guys forgive each other. So here we go. So the husband says, okay, will you forgive me for such and such? And usually the wife will say, well, what about this? I said, no, no, foul. I'm referee, that was a foul. You got to play by my rules here. All you can do is ask for forgiveness for a specific thing, and all the other person can do is say, I forgive you. Say the words, because the words matter. And then, another, then, the, then the other person says, <clears throat> the wife says, her husband, will you forgive me for such and such? And he says, the only way to play it is right to say, I forgive you. Anything else gets it off track. Anything else I call foul. And not, oh, that was no big deal. No, I forgive you. And walk through it step by step by step until there's nothing there. I'm telling you what happens. I've seen it many times. And then all of a sudden, I see tears starting to come down cheeks. And then I see maybe reach out and maybe there's like an affectionate grab of the hand. Why? As soon as I see that, I say, you know what just happened? The devil just left he had no place anymore. Now we can start to work on what you need to do to turn this marriage around. First thing we got to do is get the devil. I'll tell you what, the devil stays there. You can, you can read a stack of books on marriage this high and it's not going to work. Because the one who separates is there, you got to get him out first. Is that making sense? Get him out. And the only way to get him out is forgive each other fully, totally. Not mostly, totally. No, I mean, the ammunition dump is empty. No more reservoir of resentment. You drained it. Now you start fresh. I said, okay, now that we're there, here's an assignment for one week. I tell the husband, for one week, I want you to think of 10 ways a day you can show your wife you love her. He's like, 10? 10? 10. 10 a day for one week. 10. 
Little things like a you know, love note left around the house. You brought flowers home and you never do that. You texted a little, you know, you texted a poem. You never wrote poems. I mean, whatever. Ten things a day. Think of it. And then I told the wife, and for, you need to think of ten things a day you can do to show your husband you respect him. Like, Dan, how you, what, what does that even look like? So figure it out. And usually I recommend a book. There's a, there's a book called Building Your Mate's Self-Esteem by Dennis and Barbara Rainey. that has got a lot of good ideas in there that I recommended to people. Building Your Mate's Self-Esteem by Dennis and Barbara Rainey. Typically, guys are like, where's the book? I can think of two. I need some help here. <laughs> Here's what happens. So they'll go for a week. Actually, I, hardly the first time. The, the couple hardly ever makes it a week without messing up. So typically I'll say, I'll come back, I'll say, I won't see you next week. They'll come back and say, we did it for two days. And then we had a fight. I said, how was it for two days? They said, it was pretty good. I said, start over. You got to go a whole week. Till you go a week, we're going to keep meeting. Here's the deal. If I, can see a, if I can get a couple to go three weeks doing this, they got it. They're going to make it. They're going to win-win now. They've learned how to treat each other. Now all of a sudden, remember, whatever you sow, you reap. Now they're starting to reap fullness. And they like it. And they're win-winning and win-winning, win-winning. What happens though, a lot of times is couples just say, this is too hard, and they go back to the old pattern, and they accept emptiness, they accept it, and they live with it. And they either get divorced or they're emotionally divorced, stay together. But, but that is not God's plan. God's plan is to move us to a place of fullness. That's what he wants. Well, God designed marriage. He designed something that was a good thing, a great thing. The Bible says he finds a wife, finds a good thing. This is all God's plan was good. Yet most people, most people in marriage are unhappily married. Most why? Because they're I've totally gone, to, totally in disorder. And disorder in this relationship brings emptiness. So how do you go from disorder to order? God's way, real simple. One flesh principle, win-win. Or you lose-lose. How do you win-win? The woman's got to know the husband loves her. She's got to know it. She's got to feel it. The husband says, oh, she knows I love her. I told her when I married her. I mean, I just look at the woman and say, do you feel it? Do you feel it? And she shakes her head. No, I said, then it's not happening. If she doesn't feel it, she's got to feel it. You got to do it where she feels it. And then the woman's got to make sure he feels respected. Do you want to know why so many affairs have happened between a boss and a secretary? It's because the secretary's not getting attention at home for her husband, but the boss pays a little attention to her. And then the boss, he's not getting any respect at home, but the secretary respects him. So you have that little dynamic happening when it's not happening at home. Next thing you know, they go off together. See, but God's plan is, his order is that the husband love his wife and she feels loved. 
I mean, she feels, and the wife and the husband feels respected. And then you got this couple that are happy. I mean, there's this win, winning, win, winning, win, winning. And then I tell you what, it's an affair, and it's a fair-proof relationship. That's God's plan. Remember, God wants fullness for us. He wants people happily married. He'd set it up that way. But you got to do his order. His order is to win-win or you lose-lose. How do you win-win? The woman's got to feel loved. The man's got to feel respected. Now, I'm going to go into minister time a little bit early here because I really feel like God wants to do something with some marriages in this room. But I've wrestled with, you know, how to go about this ministry time. Let me tell you why. I've wrestled with it because I'm thinking, you know, there's some couples here that are thinking we, we need prayer right now because we have some things that are out of order. And that's why we're, and we're experiencing some emptiness and we want fullness. So we're asking God for the grace to have some, get the order right in our relationship. And you want prayer for that. But I also realize that some couples are thinking, I'm not going to, I don't want anyone to know that our marriage isn't perfect. By the way, no one has a perfect marriage. Okay, let's go ahead and settle that one right there. <laughs> or you got one, one, you got the husband thinking, I ain't going up there. The wife's going, come on, come on. So I thought, how do you do a ministry talk like this? Because I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed. At the same time, I'd I, I love for us just to be such a church family and we could just be a family and do these things, wouldn't you? And say, we could just say, look, we're safe here. Nobody's judging anybody here. We're family. But we, we have some marriages here that need some prayer today. You know who you are, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone. You know who you are. And uh, I just think God will really do a powerful work if we would just kind of be real with each other for a moment and receive some prayer from some other married couples. Prayer just to say, I need to get some things in order in our marriage. You're not giving specifics. There's some things just out of order. That's enough. That's what you're saying, and I want fullness, so I need some prayer in our marriage. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, with every eye closed and every head bowed, <laughs> if you're sitting with your spouse and you're thinking, you know, we need prayer, and you squeeze each other by the hand, letting you know that, hey, we're, we're going to do this, get some way you communicate that. And then I'm going to ask those who need prayer in just a moment to, just to come on up, and I'm going to ask other couples to gather around them. I'll believe the Spirit of God is going to do a powerful work if we'll let him. So let's all stand together for a moment and pray. And then those of you that would like prayer, again, what you're saying by coming to prayer is saying, you know, God, we want to cooperate with your order because we want fullness and we want some prayer to that end. That's what you're saying, okay? That's all you're saying. Father, you know exactly where everyone is in this room. You know where every marriage is. Father, I'm asking when we're asking in Jesus' name for you to do ministry time that is full of substance and power and life, strength. A ministry time, Lord, that really will catapult people the direction from disorder to order, that they might go from emptiness to fullness in their marriages. So, Lord, we're asking for your help. I pray you would just make this a safe place right now. We're safe with you. We're safe, Lord, as we're real with each other, as you are as you are our Father, Lord. So we're just asking you to make that a reality to all of us. 
And Lord, we acknowledge that none of us are perfect. We don't judge each other. We're just all in this together. We're in this together. So Lord, I just pray now you would just enable those couples that really are saying, Lord, I need the prayer now. We need the prayer to be free enough to come up and just stand let some other people pray for them, Lord. Again, in the spirit of prayer, if that's you, go ahead and slip on out of your seat and just come on up and we're going to pray for you. Some of you might be here without your spouse and say, I need prayer for my marriage. Go ahead, you can come up too. Just kind of spread out up here in front, guys. Anybody else? There's more room over here on this side if some of y'all come over here. Appreciate it. Anybody else? Just come on up. God bless you guys. Again, if some of you would come over here, this my left, your right. Go ahead and slide over this way, guys, so we can have plenty of room here as we pray. Go ahead and slide around if you would. Thank you. Okay, I just want to ask, particularly now couples, to come up and lay hands on these couples. Would you? And like I say, some of these are here without their spouse, but they're, they're standing and prayer for their marriage. Some of you come up and just, let's just lay hands on these couples that have been willing to be just honest and before God and humble and real. And everyone who's coming down to pray right now, we all know, Lord, this very feelings because we've all been there too. We've had those moments too. None of us have arrived in our marriages, Lord. We're all in process. Father, we pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit now. Just come upon these couples who are just saying, oh, they're just saying, we need help, Lord. We need help. So pour out your grace, Lord, that empowering presence, enabling them to cooperate with you now from going from this disorder to order. Lord, you just pour out grace. Grace, Lord, just receive that grace right now. It's real. It's really happening grace to do the next right thing. It's really happening. Receive it now. Thank you, Lord. We receive that. We receive that in Jesus' name. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. We ask for healing now. He's healing broken hearts, wounded hearts, healing, Lord. We pray for healing of patterns that have been destructive, of lose-lose patterns. We pray to break the power of that in Jesus' name for new patterns now, win-win patterns. Let them come, Lord. Just let it come. Thank you for the grace. Receive that grace. It's there. It's real. It's on you right now. Thank you, Lord. For those spouses you aren't here in attendance right now with their spouse, Lord, we pray that even as they're not there, we pray your hand upon them right now to release that power, Lord, that grace. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we pray for just blessing over all of our marriages. 
the marriages of all of our staff here and around the world. Lord, just bring healing now. We pray for win-win situations, Lord. We pray for fullness. And we thank you, Lord, you set this whole thing up because you want to do it more than we want it. We thank you. We thank you and we receive it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give them all a hug down here in front, guys. Wouldn't you pray for them?